Coming up this hour, should churches be meeting or not? Also, coronavirus surcharges. And we're going to talk with Greg Harris, president of Through the Bible. That's coming up here on The Common Good. everyone. Welcome to The Common Good. Happy Monday to you all. I'm tipping my hat, pantomiming my top hat, which is good radio. Uh, welcome. Welcome to the show. Welcome to the week. You can find us all over the place on Facebook, The Common Good Radio Show. That's not only where we post articles. It's also where you can give us feedback. You can rate that page. You can send us messages for ideas or topics or interviews. You can also find us on Twitter and Instagram at Common Good Talk, 1160hope.com slash The Common Good and wherever it is you find fine or average podcasts, subscribe, rate, review, all of that does really, truly, hand to God, help us out a whole lot. And Brian, I have a, a whole topic that I want to get into, but my okay. guess is you watched The Last Dance last night. So uh, you are half right. I, there were two episodes last night, right. and I watched one of them. Oh. Uh, yesterday Yesterday was a really relaxing day until all the flooding happened. And my house, you've never been to it, sits low. And mm-hmm. uh, let's just say it was turned very stressful last night, bailing water and trying to stop <laughs> oncoming waters, water, water rushes. So, oh, boy. Uh, yeah, it was it was no fun. But we actually, a couple years ago, our like whole basement got cut. Our whole family room downstairs got, we had to rebuild the whole thing. And this time we had oh literally every towel in the house, every blanket, and we held off. We did okay. But it was, uh, it was a stressful evening. All that to say, I watched episode nine, but episode 10, I will watch tonight. Well, I legitimately didn't know that. And I'm sorry to tee up such a painful recounting. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't mean for that to, uh, to backfire like that. I was not anticipating that news. I'm so sorry. If you uh, if you just pick up some anger in me today, you'll know what it was for. No, our, our, we're fine. Like everything, there were some people locally who got flooded pretty badly. I saw Naperville was crazy yeah. where you are, uh, so, but we made out okay. But man, that was a lot of water last night. <laughs> I, I was seeing a lot of. It was interesting too. This isn't what we're going to talk about, but the disparity between like total and utter panic versus people who had blow blown up like inner tubes and were like rafting down. <laughs> <laughs> the ravine in their backyard are like, wow, this is a pretty, we really are a nation divided, aren't we? Look at us. Yeah, that's yeah. So funny. Count okay. us for the, uh, count us for the, uh, the scared ones last night, but we made out. Okay. We did. Okay. I keep hearing that you made out last night. Is that what I'm hearing? Did you guys have a romantic <laughs> evening? Amidst the storm? You said four times you. that we made out last night and I, that feels inappropriate to share on the air, Brian, but I'm, I promise you it was, it was me in ankle deep water and a sump pump all night, all, <laughs> most of the night last night. So. <laughs> I can't tell if any of that is supposed to be a euphemism it, or not. It um, is not. <laughs> okay. So here's what I want to talk about. And we're actually going to spread this out over two segments because I want to yep. take a couple of different angles. Uh, this first article The headline simply reads, protests erupt as a Chicago church continues to hold services amid coronavirus. You want to give us like a brief summary of what's going on there? Uh, Yeah, you know, it's uh, some churches in the Chicagoland. They met yesterday uh, and uh, people started protesting outside of those to kind of say, we don't agree with you being in person. It's this whole thing that's just blowing up right now it feels like of should churches be able to meet so the metro praise international church uh in the belmont craigan neighborhood they've been holding stuff uh and uh it's really weird though man like the pastor was waving the church's flag at the protest and so it's all this 
Um, do we believe that churches should be kind of exempt from what's going on or, or do we believe more of a nuanced, it should be lightened or do we believe that the governor has it right? Uh, and where churches are falling, uh, is really turning somewhat vocal right now. Yeah. And it's interesting too, because I find myself like this is becoming such a polarizing conversation. I think it probably has been for a while, but my feed just seems more and more like saturated with, with this particular conversation. In fact, somebody, so two different friends I want to give a shout out to my, uh, the first is Jeremiah, a buddy of mine sent me this first article about the protests. And then my friend Angela sent me a post and it's from the uh, 14th Illinois congressional district. And it deemed Sunday, May 17th as God versus Pritzker day. And it reads at least 60 Illinois churches will reopen in spite of Pritzker's stay at home order. Please support and pray for these God fearing Patriots encourage law enforcement to support their constitutional rights, not the illegal mandates of a runaway governor. And then I saw a, a tweet from Soon Chan Ray. And I don't know if you know who that is or not, but he's a, an author and a professor. Uh, he tweeted just to be clear, if you're fighting for your individual right and liberty to shop and go to church at the cost of human life, you are pro-choice, not pro-life. So he's coming in swinging along with a whole lot of others. I, I mean, I'd love to know. We got just a couple of minutes in this segment. Where, where do you land on this? Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. Um, I would first agree with you that my Facebook feed and Twitter page is just all over the board and people have increasingly really strong feelings. I've had people in my church ask me, why don't we just open up? And you're like, well, we're not going to do that. Um, And so I do not think churches should just be opening up. I think it's problematic when we, when we describe those that are defying the governor's orders as true patriots. Uh, I think that's also problematic. Um, But I also think that tweet is way too simplistic in my opinion, right? Like there's arguments to be made, uh, just because you want to open, start opening things up quicker than what the governor wants to or other states want to doesn't mean that you're OK with lots of people dying. Right. Uh, it doesn't mean that you're not pro-life or pro-choice or whatever. Uh, a lot of those memes going around on both sides uh, of that debate. I would say where do and where am I right now? I actually had the opportunity to be on a call with some other pastors today, a Zoom call with one of our state reps. And I found it really interesting And I think every pastor in that group is in the same spot. Like we want to see uh, a little more nuance than what the governor's allowing for right now. Uh, And also just a little bit more hope. Like where's the hope outside of like, you're not going to open up for 12 months right now. Um, Like, you know, for me, there needs to be some thought out nuance in terms of like, you know, my church is an 11,000 square foot warehouse. I don't even know the square footage of the yellow box. Uh, but it, let's just put it this way. You've got rooms bigger than 11,000 square feet probably over there. And so uh, especially your sanctuary. So it doesn't make any sense that you guys and my church ha- can have the same number of people for the next 12 to 18 months. Right. Uh, there needs to be some more thought out. How can this look in terms of building size, in terms of uh putting a plan together to how we can all do this together. So I'm kind of in that gray area right now where I think the governor has been way too black and white. I think the governor is off base in just kind of uh, this is how we're going to do it until there's a vaccine. But I also think uh, the people right now who are like, we should just open up and it's our first amendment, right? 
I don't believe, I don't agree with that either. I think that we still have to think about public health and uh, that we shouldn't just wave the God flag and say uh, we, we should be allowed to open up no matter what you tell us. So you're, you're kind of just saying neither is what you're saying. I want to fall in the middle there. I think all too often we, we point, we, we just paint people. You have to be one side or the other. You're either a patriot who wants to open up and kind of thumb your nose at Pritzker, or you just want to fall in line and be closed for a year. All the pastors I've talked to are going, we don't want to be the headline makers. We don't want to break the law, but we also think it's ridiculous that we have to wait 12 to 18 months, mm-hmm. assuming things keep going in this trajectory that it's going right now. Obviously, if there's a second wave or things turn, we have to make those choices and, and lawmakers have to make those choices. But uh, there are some problematic things. And this lawmaker who was on the call with us today said uh, that, that the governor, quite frankly, isn't even taking their calls at the moment. And so, mm. uh, you know, that's problematic. I think that there needs to be a better discussion. Churches are more essential than than I think what they're giving them credit for. But at the same time, it should not be oh, just to open them all up right now, no matter what, I, I think that's unwise too. So I would say that I fall in the middle. and uh, But I hope that there's a more nuanced discussion that the legislative branch and the executive branch, along with pastors and rabbis and mosques, uh, hopefully that conversation can happen uh, to kind of fall in the middle to where we can come up with a good solution. Well, we would love to know what you all think. We'll post all those articles over on the Facebook page. We've, I mean, feel free to weigh in to send us a message if you're more comfortable with that. We would really love to know how are you all navigating this, especially here in Illinois. We're in a unique circumstance at a national level, and uh, we'd love to know theologically, economically, where you're convicted, where you're challenged by. And we're going to continue this conversation coming up next. And the headline reads, Take the Shutdown Skeptics Seriously. That's coming up next here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with Brian Fromm. Find us all over the World Wide Webs on Facebook, The Common Good Radio Show. You'll see an illustration of cartoon Brian and Ian wearing masks, being responsible. That's where we post all of our articles. You can also send us messages. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Common Good Talk. And wherever it is you get podcasts, liking, subscribing, rating, reviewing, sharing, tweeting, TikToking, all of that really does help us out a whole lot. And uh, we appreciate those of you who already have done that. Brian, we got another great review over the weekend. I'm going to read it to you later because it made me almost tear up. It was so sweet. Nice. But we'll, I'll, nice. I'll, cover, I'll cover that a little bit later. So the, the topic that has been on everyone's mind this weekend, it seems, is whether or not churches should meet. And I've seen all sorts of different takes and different opinions. Very, very smart people all, all across the place. And I found this article. This was a couple of weeks ago. Not specifically about churches, but it says, take the shutdown skeptics seriously. So the whole kind of premise is, mm, are there, are there, is there legitimacy to the people that are skeptical of this whole thing? We talked uh, last week at length a couple of times about conspiracy theories and the right. pandemic video. And this seems to be striking a little bit of a different chord. Why don't you tell us a little bit about what's going on? Yeah, so this is written by uh, Connor Friedersdorf at The Atlantic, and The Atlantic's been doing good stuff throughout the uh, pandemic. Um, it, what he's trying to get at here is, you know what, it's what we talked about last segment, man, that like right now in the world we live in of polarization, like you either have to be painted as, I don't, I'm not worried at all about COVID-19 and we should open everything up tomorrow, or we're being painted as like, 
uh, oh, no, we need to lock ourselves in and not do anything. When the vast majority of people, just about everybody I know, falls in the middle and is trying to weigh both sides of this thing. Uh, and so what Connor Friedersdorf does here is he talks about, listen, there are people skeptical of of the shutdown and who wanted to see things open up, but for reasons uh, that don't mean that they don't see the other side. So he says it this way. He says the general point is that minimizing the number of COVID-19 deaths today or a month from now or six months from now may minimize the human cost of the pandemic when the full spectrum of human consequences is considered the last global depression created conditions for a catastrophic world war. Is that a possibility? He says the downside risks and costs of every approach are real, frightening and depressing, Mm. no matter how little one thinks of reopening now. And I think that's a valid point that there's a there's a positive and there's a dark side to both parts of this conversation. And I think his call is like, let's not let's not just demonize the other side. Right. Let's not just demonize people, but let's instead go, you know what? This is a really complicated matter that we've never dealt with before in our lifetime. So let's, instead of calling each other names and throwing things at each other, maybe let's have the nuanced conversation and just try our best to, to chart a path uh, that works best for our culture. I think he, he does a good job with this. Here's a, a quote from Mester O'Reilly that I think is interesting. It says, why should we assume that a crashing economy would leave the healthcare system standing? You can't keep the hospital lights on without keeping on the lights of the economic sectors undergirding it. Yes, our doctors and nurses are running out of masks and gloves, which is a serious problem. It would also be a serious problem if we lost the means and the manpower to make more or if the hospitals to buy more beds, ventilators, etc. And there's the rub. We are being told we can't fight the virus without pausing the economy, yet we can't fight the virus without the economy, which is a pretty succinct, lucid comment. I'm wondering, have you heard cases like that or where do you where do you kind of find your general rhetoric in the people that you most often interact with yeah i think that 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 quote uh really kind of symbolizes a lot of what i hear from people he closes the article with another quote that i think kind of helps where i'm at right now he says the warnings of shutdown skeptics warrant careful study, not stigma rooted in the false pretense that they don't have any plausible concerns or value human life at all. Right. Like we are it feels like it's getting worse right now, but I wish that we could get to the point where we didn't demonize the people that don't agree with us. Uh, not everything was a, a loud protest with, uh, you know, with demonizing signs but that we could have a nuanced conversation that says, listen, we all want what's best for our society and our culture. I want that. You want that people on both sides who are more polarized. They want that. Um, but you know, I'm, I'm in that, that spot in the middle going, man, I just feels like, uh, we've got to get to the point where we start taking those steps to open up a little quicker than what we are. That's where I'm at right now, but I could be wrong. Um, I'm, you know, some of these States that are doing it a lot faster, we're going to see how it goes. But I do feel like people are reaching their limits right now. The people I talk to, quite frankly, uh, who are law abiding, none of them are looking to like just blow past any laws or whatever. The people I'm talking to feel like they're reaching their limits right now. And I think we've as a as a state and as a as a government, we need to take that seriously and have that conversation and at least help people understand when things move a little less uh, quickly than they want to. Where are you at with this right now? Well, it's interesting. I think, I mean, you kind of showed your cards there just now with the general assumption that you think everyone wants what's best for everyone, right? And I mm-hmm. actually don't 
I don't think that that's true. Maybe I'm just more of a skeptic by nature. Um, but the general statement like, oh, everyone just wants what's best for everyone. I don't think that's true. I don't think the statistics uh, bear that out necessarily. I think probably the vast majority of people like that's, you know, that's more of a philosophical statement than anything else. But uh, I think that there are probably a lot of ulterior motives underneath the surface on both sides that we're not aware of that are maybe not being considered or being considered too much. Uh, group think and hive mind. That's all a very real thing. So sometimes it's like, well, the video that gets the most shares or, you know, we talk a lot on the show about confirmation bias and echo chambers. As long as my side just keeps banging the same drum louder and louder, uh, the army that kind of surrounds it is going to just keep getting louder and keep getting bigger. Um, so that isn't necessarily helpful. It's kind of one of the reasons that I, I really have appreciated this show and this platform is how do we create middle space for actually, you know, having helpful, intelligent, patient dialogue that isn't attacking the person on the other side, but, you know, having rigorous disagreement where we need to. Again, the the, the truth still stands that you and I aren't doctors. We're not economists. Mm-hmm. And so there's certainly like what you were just saying about people are getting near their end. To me, that's not a compelling reason not to do something. If If it was almost entirely empirically true and provable like man we we just have to keep doing the shutdown the way that we're doing it to save lives and the general sentiment was like yeah but this has started to bother me that wouldn't be reason enough in my mind for us to stop doing it just because people feel like they're at their end the trouble the the rub the the rub tends to be where we disagree that this is actually the right course of action right 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 I 100% agree with that. If it was categorical that if, you know what, us staying home is going to be the only way uh, to work this out and, and that that's the only solution, I think, okay, that's one thing, but I don't think necessarily that's how it is. And then, and then you get these lobs from each side, you know, like, oh, people, people are willing for people to die so they can get their hair cut. I, I don't know anybody who's like, just like, I just want this to end so I can get my hair cut. Uh, I think that people are wanting to have, again, there's crazies on each side at the polls, and those tend to be the ones that we see the most uh, on the news and our Facebook page. But I think most people out there are wanting to have a conversation about what does it look like for life to start moving a little bit more towards what we're used to while prioritizing public health, but not ruining the economy for one or seeing lots of people die for the other, but to say, how can these hold hands going forward? That's at least the most of the people that I'm interacting with. Those are the conversations I find myself in with them. It's just unfortunate. And we know how the news works, but the people that you see uh, get the most publicity are the people who are yelling the craziest and the loudest from either end. At least that's what's been going on kind of in the stuff I've been looking at. Well, and that is the subheading of this article, too. It just simply says this is not a straightforward battle between a pro-human and a pro-economy camp, which right. I realize even reading that will probably rile some people up. But we're not going to shy away necessarily from difficult conversations that sometimes ruffle feathers. So this is also on our Facebook page. We would love to know what you think. In fact, maybe if you comment on it, we'll include it in a later show because I have a feeling this is a conversation that we're (laughs) going to continue to have for quite some time. Well, coming up next, president of Through the Bible, Greg Harris, is going to join us to talk about their ministry and how they're navigating this very unique season of coronavirus. That's coming up next here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey everyone, welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins along with Brian Fromm. You can find us a bunch of places on Facebook, The Common Good Radio Show. That's where we post all of our articles, 
You can send us messages with suggestions for future shows. You can also find us at 1160hope.com slash the common good on Twitter and Instagram at common good talk. And wherever it is you get podcasts, subscribing, rating, and reviewing does help us out a whole ton. And we are thrilled to have on the phone through the magic of technology, Greg Harris, president of Through the Bible. Welcome to the show again, sir. Good to be with you guys. Would you just uh, briefly introduce yourself again to our audience for anyone who maybe doesn't know who you are? Sure. I, I've, uh, I've basically spent most of the last 30 years of my life, my calling really seems to have been to try to take the gospel to everybody on earth. And I've done that over the last 30 years through being serving with ministries like Transworld Radio, uh, Far East Broadcasting Company. And all during this last 30 years, I've always been working with Through the Bible, helping take it into different parts of the world, training different language producers. So I've technically worked with Through the Bible for about 30 years. I've been on staff about uh, eight years now, working more directly. And um, it's just, uh, it's such a privilege to see the power of just simply teaching the whole Bible in uh, over 120 languages right now. Um, We just see just incredible impact around the world. Greg, uh, with Through the Bible, with J. Vernon McGee, Dr. McGee, uh, what's fascinating about that ministry is Dr. McGee, is uh, he passed away a long time ago, yet the ministry and the radio ministry still goes really strongly. What do you attribute that strength to, even though he passed away a long time ago? Well, yeah, you're making a hugely important point, and it's really to the glory of God, because very rarely could you find a ministry that is actually growing and uh in all ways, you know, financially, ministry-wise, expansion, impact, 30, uh, basically 30-some years after the, the founder passed away. And we, I get that question a lot, and I'm, I'm not trying to be hyper-spiritual, but really it's the power of God's Word that we keep giving it out. And the fact that it's even so popular here in the U.S. is really extraordinary. I mean, you basically hmm. have teaching that is almost 40 years old, and yet people are constantly saying, boy, it's like Dr. McGee, you know, is here and he read yesterday's newspaper. And I, I think it's just a tribute to the relevance of God's word at, at any wow. time, at any place. So I, what I'm really curious about and the topic that's on everyone's minds right now is COVID-19 and this pandemic and this quarantine. And I'm, I'm wondering how have all of those things affected the work that you do? Well, the good news is uh, that there's, there's been fairly limited effect on our operations. We have a we have a very very small organization. We work with a lot of partners. We we actually run this huge global ministry. We're probably one of the largest content providers also in in domestic media, uh, domestic radio in the Christian world, and we have eleven paid staff. So wow. <laughs> most wow. of us are, are already working remotely, and then we have all kinds of great partnerships, and so. You know, by the grace of God, our work has really continued on. Not only has it continued unabated, it's actually grown. We've we've done some pretty cool things, like uh, we partner with YouVersion, the, the the world's largest Bible app, and we got some uh, audio teaching plans put on for Italy, for Spain, and for Iran because they were being hit so hard with the COVID nineteen. So uh, we've we've continued to expand. We relaunched our ministry to China. God had already organized that. That was really years in the planning. And on March thirtieth, right, just a couple weeks after this thing really began to become a major global issue, 
Um, we relaunched our entire uh, ministry to China. And so we've seen just tremendous response, increased response all over the world because people are looking for answers at this difficult time. Hmm. Yeah, I wonder if you could elaborate on that a little bit. Why do you think, help people understand why you think there has been this increase response in the midst of this COVID-19 pandemic? What uh, what kind of itch is that scratching for people right now? Well, I, I think, you know, all of us, even even those of us who are believers, who know the Lord says don't boast about tomorrow, have suddenly come face to face with the reality that we don't really have much control in our lives. And uh, particularly those of us in the West, our our culture and our uh, our lifestyle and the wealth that we have and the technology and the fact that our infrastructure works, we're used to a lot of control. Now, I've traveled all over the world. I've been in India, I've been in Mongolia, you know, been in Vietnam, all kinds of difficult places um, where the infrastructure doesn't work so well. But I think mm. the whole world is basically learning that uh, the scriptures are true when when God you know says don't boast about tomorrow because you don't know you don't have control over your life and I think for the unbelieving world uh, they they're beginning to say what is my what is my life are there greater forces out there that I need to know about and maybe I do need to get in touch with God and almost everybody that we work with in media is telling us that they they are seeing huge increases, particularly on their digital platforms, uh, you know, 30, 40, 50% increases in a very short period of time. And that's, you know, that's God's silver lining, I think, to this whole awful scenario that we're facing. That's fascinating. I'm wondering, could you talk a little bit more specifically to the structure of Through the Bible? Because I imagine, like for me, I, I grew up homeschooled, and a part of our schooling was we had to read through the Bible. That was just a part of our our rhythm. And I, it seems like more and more people just are completely baffled by the notion of actually reading through the entire Bible, going verse by verse. And it seems really popular right now to kind of cherry pick things all over the place, which, you know, is probably not a new phenomenon. What have you learned or what's been your experience walking through the Bible in this way? And what maybe challenge or hope would you give to someone else who's never considered it? Well, I, I think one of the wonderful reasons that God raised up a ministry like through the Bible is to show people that you you can you can get through the whole Bible, and and admittedly, it's not easy. You know, Doctor right. McKinney doesn't uh, doesn't sort of sugarcoat it. He lets people know there there are parts of the Bible that are tough and maybe even boring. I mean, the first hmm. nine chapters of First Chronicles is one long genealogy. I mean, that's right. that's right. not always an easy. <laughs> Mm-hmm. So I think the you know the the answer is that uh, a ministry like through the Bible and there there are others there aren't a lot of ministries that take people all the way through the Bible. Um, one reason is it's five years, which sounds like a lot, but actually once you get into the habit of listening to the program every day, it's a twenty six minute program. I personally podcast it. I mean, lots of people are hearing it on the radio. You can. You can get it through the app. We have it on you version, and we have it on YouTube. I mean, we have, it, there's a million ways you can do it. But I think what people are finding is that the Bible does have a systematic, uh, unified message. And that mm. when you study all of it, you, you don't get a lopsided uh, view of your, of God and yeah. also your Christian life. It's kind of be like somebody who's a weightlifter who only wants to work out their, you know, their arms, but never any other part of their body. Hmm. Yeah. Greg, with like the last minute or so we have left, um, 
point us point people to where they can access. You've told us you version, but why don't you tell us about the website and then maybe tell us how we could be praying for you guys and for the ministry going forward. Sure. You can reach us at ttb.org. That, that's the initials for Through the Bible, ttb.org. And we have, by the way, almost everything we offer is free. We offer, you could go download the entire five years. Uh, you can buy it on a uh, USB for uh, $35, which is just wow. basically the cost of, of this. This is a, you're talking about 1,300 radio programs. Uh, we want people to have access. So go to ttb.org. There are uh, well over 100 e-booklets of sermons that Dr. McGee preached, but we also have a question-answer program and a Sunday sermon. So there's tons of resources. And as far as prayer, I I always ask people to to pray for wisdom. We have so many opportunities. Uh, My challenge is going where the Lord is leading us. If I took every opportunity, you know, it it would be crazy. And it's already crazy (laughs) because the Lord keeps growing this ministry. But really, uh, prayer for wisdom for the leadership is really our number one need. That's so good. Again, I want to encourage you to check out ttb.org. That's ttb.org. And you've been listening to Greg Harris, president of Through the Bible. That's also broadcast right here on AM 1160, six days a week. And I highly encourage you to check that out. Greg, thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. Thanks for having me, guys. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. My pleasure. You've been listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey everyone, welcome back to The Common Good. My name is still Ian Simpkins. His name is still Brian Fromm. Probably will be for quite some time. You can find us all over the place. Facebook, The Common Good Radio Show. And we post articles there. We post stuff that we don't even talk about on the show. But we would love to hear from you. We would love for that to serve as a space for helpful, intelligent dialogue. Anything you can do to like or review or share that page really, really does help us out a whole lot. Plus, we're podcasts, wherever it is you get podcasts, and on Twitter and Instagram, at Common Good Talk. I want to talk about something uh, that I don't think we've tackled yet, and that is the issue of COVID-19 surcharges. But before we do that, Brian Fromm has some really neato words he wants to say at you. I'm going to string them together here. During the coronavirus pandemic, we do know that so many businesses have had to close their doors and reduce their hours. But we also know that there are still many businesses that are open and serving the public as best as they can. If that's you, if you own or run a business that's open and operating, we want to help you get the word out. So right now, go to 1160hope.com slash open for business. That's all one word. 1160hope.com slash open for business. Fill out the brief form, and we're going to compile all of that information and share it with our listeners. Totally free, no catch. Go to 1160hope.com slash open for business. Some of your finest work, Brian. I'm not going to lie. Oh, okay. I'll take it. (laughs) You seem surprised by that. Man. Nope. I feel good. It's a Monday. You thought that was going to go negative? Is that why? No, I thought you'd be a little more lukewarm on it. So I took I took oh. your really good there and ran. Wow, no it. way, no, no. Uh, grace abounds. Okay, so have you heard much about these COVID nineteen surcharges? Is this a conversation that you're having? I this probably will not surprise you. This article is literally the first time I've heard of them. Whoa! Uh, so, why should that not surprise me? Because that seems to be a regular thing that happens on this show where you're like, have you heard that? And I'm like, never heard of it. <laughs> I have a little sheltered life, apparently. But are you, but are you uh, guys I mean, ordering food, though? Are you ordering food? I was going to say, I might have been paying these without noticing them because we've certainly ordered food out and gone and picked up. I haven't noticed anything about a surcharge. And so I, I very well might have paid these already. But this is the first time I've actually heard of them. 
So let me get this straight. You're the guy that would keep a bag of money if he found it on the street, but is but is not paying attention to the additional surcharges that he may or may not be paying when it comes to his it is. See, that is what that's the thing. That is not like me. So that's why I don't think that I've paid any surcharges, but there's a chance. <laughs> there's probably a chance. I'm going to own the fact and go that, that it could have slipped by me. How about you? Is this something you've been seeing? Oh, yeah. I've been out protesting with signs and body paint <laughs> for quite some time. I'm a real surcharge <laughs> activist, Brian. I'm surprised you haven't seen me on the news yet. Uh, yeah, I mean, I've, I've heard a couple of people um, mostly just complaining about it interpersonally. I've not seen anything written until this. It's not from a uh, super highbrow website, Rogue Rocket. I'm not sure what that is. <laughs> um, but it says several customers across the country have noted a coronavirus surcharge attached to the bottom of their restaurant bills, prompting a flood of different reactions online. A $2.19 uh, $2. charge spotted at a restaurant in Missouri sparked a ton of frustration. Uh, excuse me, what? A COVID surcharge a woman posted on Twitter after she found the viral photo online and shared it. And then it goes on to share a number of other tweets. I will give fair warning. Not all of these are uh, safe for family <laughs> reading, but it does go on to highlight people's pretty strong reactions. Uh, and it and it's not just strong in one direction. That's kind of why I like this article, because the headline says customers have mixed opinions about COVID-19 surcharges. I would love to know since you just sort of admitted not really being familiar with this, just on the surface, how do you feel about it? Uh, I'm okay with it as I read it. I think I'm okay with it as long as, like, they, they, they talk about a guy who's an owner and manager of a Japanese steakhouse and sushi lounge later, and he said that they advertise it online. They're very upfront about it, right? They advertise it. It's on their door at their restaurant. They make sure people know what it's for um, because here's what's going on. Uh, the price of meat is up. The price of some other stuff is up. They're they're not getting as number of employees. So we do know that in economics that the price gets passed down the line and eventually ends up on the customer. So we get that. I'm not sure the name COVID-19 surcharge is the best way to go about it. Like that seems to that's that seems to when you first read it, you're like, what are they trying to do? Profit off of the coronavirus? And that's not what they're doing, right? In this, they're trying to recoup some of their costs. And so I think as long as people understand why it's happening and they know it before they order, instead of it's just kind of slidden in the bill. Uh, and then if you're like me and you don't pay attention to it, well, that's on you. So I would say as long as people are upfront about it, I'm okay with it. So do you think that there's anything philosophical about, I mean, these, I mean, it's shared in tweet form. So it's like one tweet of a guy saying, well, this is stupid. This is, is this even legal? followed by the next person saying, I'm sure it was disclosed. It's a small price to pay to support them and keep them open. I know that for us, like it's been a conviction of ours that when we support local economy and local restaurants, especially now to kind of go above and beyond if we can to tip extra yep. big. Um, and we don't, I mean, I've seen, I've seen a lot of churches do some really creative things about adopting certain restaurants and making videos about it and being really proactive and helping people. I know that a lot of organizations, a lot of restaurants are still not going to survive even yeah. with all those additional efforts, I'm curious if there are any other elements beside the being forthright about it that you think would need to be considered in order for you to be okay with this. I don't think so. Do you have something in mind? Because for me, as long as the restaurant's saying we need to do this to, to recoup our cost and to stay in business and they make sure I know about it, but you know, before I order or before I come in, that's their right. You know, they own a business. And uh, they're trying to stay open. 
so there, you know, there's some examples of signs in this article that are just like their people are very upfront about it. They're like, we're trying to stay in business. We need to, you know, we're, so we've added this surcharge and then the customer can make their decision about the surcharge and just go, I don't want to pay it. So I'm not going to order from here, but you know, I, I don't have a problem with it. What about you? Do you have a problem with it? I don't think I have a problem with it. Um, it is interesting. Like, again, especially here in Illinois, we know this is going to be a reality for a while. Why not just raise the price of the food overall? Uh, I see what you're saying. To me, and that's more of like a marketing question. Like, would people be less irked by it? If like, oh, man, my regular burger is 80 cents more expensive than it typically is, rather than seeing something in, in black and white print that just says COVID-19 surcharge. I wonder I if see. maybe that would be helpful. But I it. I mean, it totally makes sense. These these local businesses are are trying really hard just to simply stay afloat. Um, but I I have also like I saw a friend of mine he posted the breakdown of what he actually received after all the fees with using like Grubhub and DoorDash. And I mean, he was making I, I want to say it was just shy of forty five percent of what the actual cost. Like a lot of those funds went towards the infrastructure of a Grubhub or a DoorDash. And so in in that way, you know, it is a little bit of a gamble either way. If you start adding surcharges, you could turn off enough customers that, you know, are somehow offended by this charge or, you know, a lot of unsuspecting customers are using organizations, using apps like Grubhub and DoorDash, not realizing how much of the profits are going to those companies rather than the restaurant they're trying to support. I, I don't know. It's, it's definitely tricky at the very least. I see. I, I hadn't thought of that. That's a good point. Like, um, you know, by calling it a COVID-19 surcharge, it's almost as if the restaurant is saying there's nothing we can do to avoid this. Whereas right. if you just raised your prices, people are going, well, I don't want to pay for that. Like that, my, my burger just got expensive. Uh, right. and, and so that's interesting. I hadn't thought of that. So, uh, yeah, I guess it's a little more complicated. I personally wouldn't have a hard time paying it. I would just want to know before I pay it so that I'm not, you know, surprised by it. But, I, you know, I want these restaurants to make it. So I'd be OK with it. Yeah. I, and that for me, like I, I'm a big believer in local economy. And I think for all of us who can, and maybe this is, maybe this is my challenge at the end of this segment, like think about supporting local in whatever way that you can. And that's not right. just restaurants, by the way, that's grocery shopping. There's a whole lot of other things that we can be thinking about. And I know that a lot of people listening, that's, that's not within your means right now. And that's totally fine. But if it is within your means, it is worth the added effort to do our best to support these local restaurants, to support these local establishments. I just think our cities and our communities really, really yeah. need it. And it's on all of us to kind of be proactive to make that happen. Well, that's the first hour in the books. You are not going to want to miss this second hour. And don't you worry. We have some good news as well. That's all coming up next here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope you're left. Coming up this hour, we're going to talk about the power of holy mischief in times of crisis, plus horseshoe theory and a little bit of good news. This is coming up on The Common Good. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with Brian Fromm. Find us all over the World Wide Web on Facebook, The Common Good Radio Show. I'd highly encourage you, if you haven't yet, by the way, like the page, write a little review to the page, have a comment or two on those articles, send us a message. All of that really does help us out a whole lot. Plus, we're podcasted, so subscribing, rating, and reviewing, that helps us out. And you can find us as well on Twitter and Instagram at Common Good Talk. And here's an article 
by a woman that we've had on the show at least once. We've referenced her articles multiple times. Mandy Smith is brilliant and prolific, a great writer and communicator, and she's writing for Missio Alliance, which is also a website that we've referenced a number of times. If you've not checked it out, highly encourage you to just go peruse missioalliance.org. But this headline I thought was a really intriguing one. It's from a couple of weeks ago. It says, The Power of Holy Mischief in Times of Crisis. Do you want to get us into it? Yeah, it's a really good article. She starts by talking about, you know, she's literally the article starts last week was pretty dark for me. I believe God can make all things new, but I'm not seeing it. When I look at the news, I just see death rates. When I look at the economy, I see plummeting figures. When I look at my calendar, I see canceled plans. When I talk to others, they're also tired, grieving, overwhelmed, ready for something different. Uh, and she says, Christian endurance doesn't mean pretending everything's okay and soldiering on. And so you're like, okay, where's she going with this? Later on down, she goes, in the middle of that despair last week, I found myself watching videos of flash mobs. We love those transcendent moments when we can feel part of something bigger than ourselves, like getting wrapped up in an impromptu dance scene in an old musical where somehow everyone knows the steps. Hmm. In some way, this is what we enjoy every Sunday morning, the music and the word and the gathered people. Uh, She said, as I watched the video of the parade flash mob, I longed for a pop-up parade on my street to hear the music, to see the joy in people's faces. And even if the marchers had to be six feet apart. And then I felt a strange prompt. You could start your own one person parade. My usual response would be, what if I look stupid? To which the Lord responded, what if it makes somebody's day, draws them out of their despair, creates a moment of transcendence. And that's what kind of this article, she goes on much more. We'll touch on it. But she says, In the midst of the despair, in the midst of the struggle, while we're all trying to endure, are there creative, almost to use her phrase, mischievous things that we can be doing to provide hope, to provide light, to provide change of pace, uh, to put a smile on people's faces and even do more than that, draw them out of their despair, she says, make somebody's day. Uh, And so her answer was a one person parade, even though she says, I'm not an extroverted attention seeker uh, and she felt uncomfortable doing this but her basic point is what if we start doing uh, some creative things like this uh, for the sake of others what would the result be and then she just shares her own story with it I think uh, it's a really well-written article but man what a cool idea if we all just started getting creative in these ways well she actually shares a couple ideas she says a few inspirations for holy mischief the first is improv everywhere has several creative ideas that can be easily adapted to work with our current restrictions such as the mp3 experiment i don't know if you're familiar with that or not are you familiar with I'm improv not. everywhere no oh i'm sure you've seen some of their stuff before they've done all sorts of really it's like they create these scenes maybe you saw one i think it was uh union station where they organized oh. like 300 people to be walking through Union Station, and then at the same signal, they all just froze. And I did see that, which yeah. of course left like 13 other people being really confused about what happened. They would do <laughs> stuff like that all all over the place. It's really funny. Uh, she says this is a perfect time for a little yarn bombing. She says try gorilla gardening or dust off your favorite costume. Even the most ordinary task, like walking the dog or taking out the trash, becomes a moment for laughter when done dressed as a mermaid. Which is also uh, funny. That's a funny suggestion, and there's links to all of these if you don't know what yarn bombing is, because I also don't. Um, one of the things I used to do for years and years and years as a youth pastor is I would go to costume stores the day after Halloween, and everything's on like you know ninety percent clearance because these stores you know are not year round stores. 
So I amassed like a whole bunch of costumes. And then when we would go on like youth retreats, especially ones like at a big conference center or something, I would bring all these costumes and let kids <laughs> dress up in these costumes. So an army of like 35 students and their leaders would like enter <laughs> this conference room or this arena dressed as a unicorn and a banana and a bandit. And uh, man, it made for such a fun. It was so small, but in hindsight, like those are some of the memories that I feel oh, like I hold sure. dearest and they were simple. They were simple things. I think part of what she's getting at and you mentioned it earlier in the uh, in the article when she was feeling self-conscious, you know, about like, well, what if I what if I look stupid or what if what if people laugh at me? And, you know, the response that she sort of felt from God was, well, what if it makes someone's day? What if it draws them out of their despair? What if it creates a moment of transcendence? And she quotes earlier, Timothy Carson, she said, that's where things get born, somewhere between loss and hope. And I think right now. So many people are feeling like they're in the pit of despair and I'm finding, and I think this is always true. I don't think it's just during times of pandemic, but those like small momentary acts of kindness or random act of comedy or just any, like, it's just so the soil is so ripe right now for people to try anything out of the ordinary, just to bring a little light to someone else's day. Right. And the big secret is that by doing that, it also improves your day. And this is something that we all have. You don't have to be a producer or an actor or a professional dancer. I think we all have resources available to us to sort of snap out of this a little bit. But it's hard. It's easy for us to kind of just sort of get internally focused, like on our own grief or our own sadness. And this is part of what I love about Mandy's writing. I, th I just think she has a an incredible gift for sort of drawing out of us the possibilities of what it could look like to live life just a yeah. little bit different, you know. Yeah, she even says, in the meantime, even within our current restraints, we can let our hope leak out, even if that hope has to squeeze past grief and anxiety on its way out into the world. Something mm -hmm. transcendent takes place when ordinary humans let their small, restless hearts be seen. Uh, even while grieving and anxious, we can dance. Even when we're lonely, we can whistle against the silence. May it echo through the empty streets and stir something in every heart that hears us. May it proclaim a new story of hope. I think... This is what was going on even early on. Remember when, uh, when like it wasn't the, the COVID-19 pandemic wasn't really having much of an effect here yet, but it was going on in Italy and we were starting to hear those stories of them locking down and every night they would like come out and all cheer at the same time. Or mm -hmm. there'd be the guy who was, I remember watching one guy who, uh, was playing, um, I think it was the violin, I think every night for people. And like, there was like this ray of sunshine in the midst of, of what was going on. And then you start seeing that happen around here too. I think this is fun. Like let's, what, what, uh, what are ways that we could be rays of light in the monotony? Like some people, a lot of people we've talked about this already. Like it's not that dark and not that grief stricken right now. It certainly is for some people, but for others, it's just the monotony and the loneliness and, and what what ways can we as individuals or as families or whatever kind of help break that monotony, put a smile on people's faces, remind them of hope? Uh, I, it gets my mind working. I, I haven't had any any one thing come to mind because, uh, you know, I, truthfully, this isn't the way my mind necessarily works. Like, I wouldn't think to go to the store and buy lots of costumes for the youth retreats. <laughs> well, what do but, you what do you do then, like to break to break the monotony? What are the things that you, as a dad and husband and someone who lives in Chicagoland, how how have you been kind of pushing against that? So yesterday, when it was pouring rain, before the rain started pouring into my house, 
um, <laughs> I, uh, I looked at the kids and I told them, uh, this is a small one, but it's pouring rain and they were already looking bored. I said, why don't you guys put on swimsuits and go jump on the trampoline? And they looked at me like, what? <laughs> I said, just go jump on the trampoline in the rain. And they had this look like, we can do that. And I'm like, yeah, yeah right. and they looked at, they, they looked at my wife and Carrie's like, yeah, go for it. And they laughed for an hour straight. There was just nonstop laughter in this pouring rain. And I think it's things like that, right? Where you're just like, hey, you guys need something fun right now. And so that was for my kids. Um, but that was an example. Have you guys done anything or can you think of anything you're normally doing to kind of break the monotony? I mean, my my boys are a good deal younger, but like we got Owen, you know, a pair of rain boots and he is just love. We've been getting a lot of rain lately and just letting him go nuts in a puddle like this is this is going to be like an obvious statement to people who have been parents much longer than I have. But seeing the world through his eyes is like such a gift. Like, I feel like this will sound so cheesy, but I feel like I'm witnessing a miracle every time I go outside and like watch the world through his eyes. He's yes. And he goes and we'll go on this walk and, you know, we're in the suburbs of Naperville. And when we go for a walk, he does this thing where he like puts his hand up to his ear and he goes, oh, what's that? A giraffe. <laughs> and we're like, nah, but, and I stopped. A giraffe. Like, I was like, oh my gosh, where's the giraffe? And he'll point to like a stick. And I'm like, oh my gosh, a giraffe. It's amazing. <laughs> like, it's just letting myself, it's like the same rules of improv, right? It's the yes. And it's the, just let yourself be caught up in or captivated yeah. by whatever it is that your two year old or one year old are experiencing. And that honestly has been probably a bigger gift to me than it has to them. But either way, I encourage you to check out this website and the links that she has in there to gorilla gardening and yard, yarn bombing and all that uh, really, really interesting stuff. And we're super grateful for Mandy and all that she does coming up next. So I want to talk a little bit about how similar the far left and the far right actually are. That's coming up next here on the common good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with Brian Fromm, each and every weekday from 4 to 6 p.m. right here on AM 1160. But that ain't the only place you can find us. Brian, where else can people find us? You can find us on Facebook, The Common Good Radio Show. And I'll tell you, a lot of good, not only the articles are there, but good conversation. In fact, I was just looking at it. There are some heated... People have different ideas, Ian. You might not know this about whether churches should reopen mm-hmm. or not. And they're mm-hmm. discussing that on our Facebook page right now. I have found that uh, to be so, true. Yeah, go ahead and check out our Facebook page. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Common Good Talk. You can find us online at 1160hope.com and uh, the podcast. The podcast. Get the podcast anywhere that you get podcasts. Subscribe, rate, and review. We really are grateful for the many people who have been listening to the podcast, especially uh, during this coronavirus pandemic when the, we're in our cars less, listen to the radio. A lot of people switched over to the podcast and we're grateful for you. Well, I also wanted to mention earlier, I said, Brian, that we uh, we got a new review on the podcast. Can I just read okay. this for you? It's from uh, it's from Cubs it. Fan for Life. It says an engaging daily dose. Here's here's the review. You ready? Yep. This show was a fantastic companion to my week. Uh, to my week daily routine, topical, thoughtful, humorous, and yes, relevant with the right mix of bedrocks, uh, internet insanity, and unpredictability. I look forward to how Ian and Brian not only provide insight to current events, but also provoke thought that I didn't realize I wanted. Highly recommend. Woo! Boom. Thank right? you. Not bad. Yes. Thanks, Cubs for Life. Or Cubs fan for life? Cubs fan for, yeah, there it is. Also, I want to mention real briefly Thrivent. So I've been a Thrivent member for seven or eight years. You can learn more at Thrivent.com. But if you're looking for a career change, Thrivent.com slash careers is a really, really great place to head. Also, 
They've been providing all sorts of free webinars for helping us navigate this really bizarre time. So you can learn more at Thrivent.com, Thrivent.com slash careers, or Thrivent.com slash Chicagoland. Plus, we post a bunch of this stuff on our Facebook page. They, they have a, their own Facebook page you can find and follow. And I cannot recommend enough that you check that out. All right. So Dan White Jr. is a guy that we've quoted a number of times. He's a writer, an author, a professor. And I want to just read for you this tweet that he sent out. This yep. was a couple of days ago. And his, his kind of setting here is uh, how fundamentalists, right or left, wield their truths. So he's kind of going after this notion that uh, fundamentalists exist both on the right and the left, which is a new concept for some. But he says they wield their truths in the same way. Number one, uh, absolutism and belief. Mm. Number two, self-righteous in spirit. Number three, combative in dialogue. Number four, relate through us versus them. Number five, demonizing other groups. Number six, policing ideological borders. Number seven, using shame to silence others. And number eight, defined by who they're against. What do you think of that list? I think it's phenomenal. And I think uh, one of the things I've loved about doing the show is interacting with authors who just write stuff that I feel like I'm thinking and feeling, but could never really put down uh, succinctly on paper. And that's this. We even talked about it earlier in the show that we live in a culture uh, politically, religiously, uh, and in all sorts of ways that uh, that is always about the polls, the, the far right and the far left, that that's who really kind of takes up the airspace. That's what you start to think everybody is and that they feel the same while believing different things. And man, he puts this so well, this self-righteous and spirit relating through us versus them, absolute in belief, using shame against the other side. I think this is great because I think as you and I have said so many times, it feels like the vast majority of people we know live in the middle, uh, but it feels like everybody lives on these polls. And this does a great job of showing those polls are equally dangerous um, or, or similar in some really weird ways. So why, why do you think, if that's true, if you think that the vast majority, let's just say in the United States, are actually much closer to center than maybe the media would have us think, why, why are the most polarizing voices still so popular? Uh, that's a great question. I think, um, there's something about our cable news world, um, that, that that's what sells. And I don't know why that is like, don't you think most of us would be drawn to kind of a more nuanced discussion, but I don't think that is easy to put out there. And so for some reason, um, it's the same reason that the nightly news has always said that the best thing you can do is to is to lead with some blood and some, and some, you know, some, some bloody story uh, because it grabs the attention. I think that's what it is. I think that uh, kind of highlighting the people who are on either end, I think sells for some reason, but I'm not sure. What do you think? When you ask that question, how would you answer that? Well, I've read a couple of articles in the last year or so that have made similar claims that people with, like extreme political or religious views tend to just simply be bored. Um, there's been a lot of research to find that either boredom or, or sometimes, I mean, there's obviously other factors like uh, education or wealth, but this, this article that I found out of the Huffington Post, it says, are people with extreme political views just bored? And then it says boredom and unassuming emotion may have a larger impact than we think. That to me is super interesting, especially in a time of pandemic, because part of what I think, Dan White Jr. is saying here is that we we often 
assume that the extreme opposite of my position is the enemy and couldn't be any more different than I am. Right. But we know, you know, through things like horseshoe theory, that when you talk about extremes, they actually tend to be much closer ideologically than they realize, which is infuriating to both sides to find that the person that you see as like on the other side of this chasm, which is part of what, you know, a, a highly digitized community that's part of the issue there, I think, is because we it's easy for us to perpetuate the myth about the other as long as I don't ever have to interact with them. I think if we actually could or had to spend physical time with some of these people, um, yeah. I think there'd be a lot more understanding. I think we've even seen that. We've done stories in the past about like, you know, African-American preachers who have befriended KKK members. And over the course of, you know, not usually minutes and hours, but like days, months mm -hmm. and years have actually developed friendships and changed each other's minds about things. And so I, I don't know. I'm, I'm curious why, if, if this is the case, if, if even by what he's saying here, fundamentalists on right and left tend to sort of behave the same way, how do we make something more central even begin to appear more attractive? Like what, how do you, how do you demystify or undo the allure of, of these two extreme camps especially in a time where everyone's quarantined and we're not really able to interact much with others without the use of technology. How, how do you actually make a case for the center? Yeah. Cause I think in an ideal world, you'd be able, if the horseshoe theory is correct. And I was just reading here, you said the horseshoe theory suggests that the political spectrum is not a straight line with ideologies moving across a line from left to right, but rather a horseshoe with its farthest outliers bending in toward each other and sharing a number of beliefs. Uh, which I think is fascinating. Mm -hmm. If that is true, then the answer is to get people on the far ends of each political spectrum or each religious spectrum uh, in the same room together or on the same Zoom call, if you will, and start, yeah. right? So we demonize people. It's what Dan White said there. We demonize people that when you actually get people in a, to see the, the human side of the people and not just the, the argument and they can have a conversation, that's when you can see things start to break down. Uh, but part of the problem is, uh, I'm guessing most people on the far right don't have many uh, close acquaintances on the far left, and the, probably the same is true the other way around. Um, and, and so trying to help them see how they're together, I think, would be important. Uh, the question is, and the real trick is, what are those venues, right? You would like to think the churches would work this way, um, but I don't even know that they do. So what are the venues mm -hmm. where you can get people into the same room where it's not just a debate and a yelling match, but instead going, okay, let's look at how we, let's have a, a civil conversation and actually find some similarities and most importantly, get to know each other as people. Uh, and and then it could, you know, you you st you might start to win that battle a little bit. What I do, and I'm really intrigued by the the boredom argument because one of these articles is saying that research has supported the notion that you know when you're bored, uh, there's a frustration there that leads the mind to desire some kind of meaning, and in in the course of that that quest, we might end up becoming more entrenched in our own orientations, whether it's political or theological or economical, whatever it is. Like something about boredom longs to anchor itself in some kind of significance, some kind of meaning. And this article here, Huffington Post, is super fascinating to me because it finds that both sides of the spectrum are equally susceptible to this, both religiously and politically. It's not like, 
uh, highly religious people are more susceptible and highly irreligious people aren't. It's like, nope, on both sides. That's kind of, I think, the point of Dan White Jr.'s tweet there is that yeah. our susceptibility is across the board. And that, to me, at the very least, is worth being mindful of in this highly charged, highly polarized time. And we would love to know what you think. This has been posted over on our Facebook page, the common good radio show. Where do you find some of the holes in this argument or how can we find a better way forward? All of those things would be really, really helpful for us as we kind of navigate this together. Coming up next, a segment that I have loved to do. and We're going to do it a couple times this week. It's time for some good news. That's coming up next here on the common good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time for some good news. Hey everyone, welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, and I just installed a mailbox at my house. Congratulations. First time? First time ever? First, first, well, not really. When we moved in, I think it was the second day we moved into this house, someone hit our mailbox with their car. Second day? Wow. Yeah, something like that. And it like broke the post in half. So rather than getting a new one, I just like reburied it. So our mailbox was like a foot shorter than everyone else's. Um, <laughs> and then Salvation Army came to pick up some stuff out of our garage. And that truck driver ran over it again. And it like so badly mangled the box, but I still didn't do anything about it. Like I like picked it back up, kind of kind of jimmied it back into place. Yep. And then it eventually just fell apart. Like the door wouldn't close and the mail lady was like, can you please? And I was like, yeah, I I get it. So <laughs> I'm now a certified mailbox installer, Brian. Congratulations. That's a big day right there. Thank you so much. Uh, you can find us on the Internet. I'm, I'm not going to do all of it again. So this is a segment we call some good news, because as we all know, there's a lot of negativity, a lot of bad news Uh easily at our fingertips. We've been kind of committing a couple of segments a week to just highlight some good news. And uh, these are not all from the good news network today, Brian, I found them from a couple of different places, but they're just, they're just feel good stories. And I, I, I kind of want to start with this first one from my buddy, Trav. Trav is not only just a dear childhood friend, but an avid listener to the show sends us all sorts of great right. suggestions. In fact, we're going to do an article that he sent us over the weekend later in the week. And Trav, if you're listening, uh, we love you, man. You are awesome and so grateful for all your feedback interaction. But he sent me this first one uh, about this priest from Detroit. You want to you want to take that one? Yeah, it says a Detroit priest goes viral after squirting socially distanced bless bl- distant blessings from a water gun. And <laughs> if you haven't seen the picture, you got to see the picture. It's amazing. <laughs> it's been all over the Internet, memes of it and stuff. But a priest from uh, Gross Point Park, St. Ambrose Parish has gone viral after blessing churchgoers with holy water from a squirt gun during Easter. Father Tim Pelk told BuzzFeed News that he wanted to find a way to safely continue the tradition of blessing Easter baskets amid the coronavirus pandemic. The original idea was to do something for the kids of the parish. They were about ready to have an Easter unlike any of the past. So I thought, what can we still do that would observe all the protocols of social distancing? He decided... <laughs> The safest way to bless patrons without close contact was by spraying them with a water gun full of holy water. (laughs) The parish posted photos on their Facebook page showing Pelk wearing a protective mask, shield, and gloves as churchgoers lined up in their vehicles the Saturday before Easter. Ian, I've never wanted to be a Catholic priest more in my life. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it did also remind me, too, so a good buddy of mine, Paul Hamp, who is a wonderful real estate agent, he sold a, a house 
to a woman in our church named Gail, who is an angel on earth. And he said, hey, I want to surprise her with a, a house blessing at her closing. Okay. Can I FaceTime you? And so I, it was the first time I'd ever done something like that via FaceTime where he called me in and we got the prayer blessing over her and her house, that her house would we kind of commissioned her house, you know, to be an outpost of like love and grace That's in awesome. her neighborhood. And it was, it was kind of emotional. It was, it was pretty cool. I just have loved seeing stories like this of people getting really creative with, uh, you know, the limited circumstances that we find ourselves in. Yeah. Okay. So this next one is, um, near and dear to my heart because I feel like Guy Fieri has sort of been, like the Nickelback of the restaurant world. And <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> it's super unfortunate. In fact, there's a comedian named Shane Torres who does this wonderful bit on how amazing Guy Fieri actually is. <laughs> and he's like, listen, y'all need to leave him alone because he's amazing. Well, he's in the news again. And here's the headline. Um, Guy Fieri raised $20 million in counting for restaurant workers. <laughs> Says Guy Fieri knows better than anyone that restaurant workers are the lifeblood of, of that industry. So he immediately sprung into action to help those affected by the coronavirus pandemic. The official mayor of Flavortown joined the TMZ Live Thursday and explained how he quickly managed to get $20 million into a relief fund. Guy says he partnered up with the National Restaurant Association Education Foundation and they launched the restaurant employee relief fund pretty incredible that he's done it in less than two months as guy told us he had no problem getting on the phone to some major corporations involved in hospitality and food services and the article goes on to talk a little bit more about the specifics but man i don't know if if you've been on the bandwagon of sort of like (laughs) giving guy fieri grief or not but the more that i read about him the the more amazing he seems to be honest that's because it's so good when people are doing good stuff like that uh, and Guy Fieri has phenomenal hair as well. We just got to give him that. I knew uh, I knew you were going to go there. People, the next one here, people are installing portable hand-washing sinks for the homeless in cities across the United States. Uh, portable sinks are being installed across the U.S. as a means of helping homeless people wash their hands amidst the coronavirus outbreak. Over the course of the last two months, Love Beyond Walls, a Georgia-based nonprofit, dedicated to helping the homeless has been setting up dozens of hand washing stations in areas popularly popularly visited by uh, the homeless. Uh, Terrence Lester, the founder who had been homeless himself as a teenager told Katie Couric on her YouTube show that he started the love sinks in campaign with the hopes of supporting neglected people living in poverty during the pandemic. He said, people would say things like I'm fearing I'll contract the coronavirus because I have nowhere to wash my hands Thankfully, the group's been able to scale up thanks to support from Lecrae, who is also a friend of Lester's. This is such a cool story. And another another example, don't you find this so often, people who are doing unbelievably generous things for specific populations, often, uh, like in this case, homeless, he was homeless, right? So he knows how it feels, right. he knows the fear, and now he's going back in to help that particular population of people, you see that so often. And what a cool idea of going, all right, how do we help with hygiene, uh, particularly knowing how important it is amongst the COVID-19 pandemic? Before I share this last one, by the way, I'm curious, are you surprised by some of this outpouring of good news? This like more specifically, maybe the creativity, like obviously in kind of our setup to the segment every time is, hey, there's a lot of negativity in the news. But I feel like I'm seeing more and more collective praise and rallying around people who are having ideas like this. Are you surprised by that? I'm not because I think people, you know, if the pandemic is something we can't control, uh, then at least uh, 
doing good things is something we can control and celebrating it is also something that makes us feel good and and that we can control as well. I think people are just looking for uh, things to put a smile on their face and ways to bless other people because the bad news feels so out of our control right now, right? Like there's nothing we can really do. So people are going, all right, well, I'm going to fight back against that by either doing good things, generous things, or celebrating people who are doing those things. Which, again, I think is so important because it's easy It's easy to get so caught up, and I totally understand it. Like, I got two little ones at home. It's really easy to become myopic. Like, okay, yeah. I got to care for my wife and kids, and all right, right protective measures. Do we have enough food in the freezer? Like, are we able to, you know, we got all this rain yesterday, and I saw these people freaking out about their basements flooding. I don't think anything's wrong at all, you know, in caring about those things. But isn't it kind of easy in a time of crisis not even a global crisis, but just any kind of collective crisis to think just about me and mine. And I think part of what these stories have shown me, not only that there's so much more like beauty and generosity in the world than I realized, but that it's kind like that itself is kind of contagious. Like people see one person doing something wonderful or beautiful in their community and they right. start to think sort of like what Mandy was saying, like, oh, man, I wonder if there's an opportunity for me to do something different, you know, maybe not drastically alter my schedule but like i could be a little more generous or a little more intentional and i think that actually maybe brings us to this last one which kind of hits close to home for us and i don't know that we've mentioned it have we mentioned it on the show yet about our producer john we mentioned it in passing once with him but it's worth mentioning again just very briefly so our producer john benedek he was just announced as one of three new organists for the chicago cubs And he got to participate in one of the coolest things I've seen in a long time. On Friday, they fired up the organ at Wrigley, uh, and he got to kind of serenade the whole city. And I don't, did you see the video, Brian? Oh, everywhere. And you and I just started texting John going, was this you? And he's like, yeah. And I was like a proud older brother, you know, like, oh my gosh. (laughs) And man, John, if you're listening to this, it was phenomenal. And it put a smile on so many people's faces. And I know it was your dream to do this. You're living out your dream. So, so proud of him. But man, he was awesome. And it really put a smile on a lot of people's faces. And I, yeah, I'm right there with you. I could not be prouder. It could not happen to a better dude, a bigger Cubs fan, by the way, a more talented musician. I am so excited for like the legacy that he's stepping into. And it was kind of that moment of like watching the video of the city kind of coming alive and watching all these people standing in the street and recording it. It's so cool, man, that he gets to be a part of something that big. And so to kind of wrap up this segment, we're just going to listen to a little bit of our very own PJ serenading the city of Chicago at Wrigley Stadium. some more weird stuff we found on the web hey everyone welcome back to the common good that music probably causes some level of alarm or panic maybe (laughs) maybe even anticipation if you're not aware of what this segment is i'm gonna tell you here we go so we end the show the same way every day with a little bit of what we call interweb insanity it is stories that have been selected for us by our producers ryan and i have not read them 
that are sound effects that we have not heard. It ranges from like the G to PG-13 range typically. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, still safe for families of all ages. But there, yeah, there's certainly been some that have been darker than others. Do you you recall one, Brian, over the last year and some change is like your favorites or the most startling that we've done? Oh, I'm going to need to think about that. Yeah, nothing jumps out at the moment. They're all just filled with alcohol and uh, late nights and, <laughs> and Florida. And Either Florida. way, it is funny to me how many pastors I still hear uh, who say something like, yeah, so these true. are actually pretty good sermon fodder. It does it does weirdly <laughs> help out. So why don't you kick us off, Brian? Who knew that Interweb and Sandy would be our service to the pastoral world? Not all yeah, the other right. stuff we do. That right. The first one's out of New York State. Barber who refused to close. Te- barber who refused to close tests positive. Oh yikes! An upstate New York barber who's been cutting hair for weeks in defiance of the state's stay-at-home order has tested positive for COVID nineteen. Ulster County Health Commissioner Dr. Carol Smith did not identify the barber or the shop in the statement, but said anyone who'd received a haircut in the past three weeks had a barber shop on Broadway in the city of Kingston, some twenty miles north of Poughkeepsie should be tested. There are at least four barbershops in that area. Barbershops and other non-essential businesses have been closed. Uh, And Smith said, learning that a barbershop has been operating illicitly for weeks with a COVID-19 positive employee is extraordinarily disheartening. Stupid! You know, I was wondering how far into the segment we were going to get the Brian Fromm pump fake. I didn't realize it was going to happen on the... uh... On the first article, did I pump fake on that one? I didn't feel like I did on that one. That one there are at least four barber shops in that area. Barber shops, sorry, I'm another day. I can just see our producers like with the finger on the sound effect button, just waiting with bated breath. All right, so this next one's out of Pennsylvania. Man strolls naked through apartment complex. Uh, how much money do you want to bet there's alcohol involved? I'm going with uh, I'm going with uh, that has got to be the case. Sure. Lawrence Township police responded to a call about a man taking off his clothes and walking around through a local apartment complex on Tuesday night, leading to the arrest of an Altoona man for warrants in Lancaster. Police report that they were called to an apartment complex on. Oh, boy. What is that? I know this one. Susquehanna. Susquehanna Avenue in Hyde when they noticed a suspicious car outside of the complex believe it was related to the call they received. They ultimately made contact with Jesse Kitko, 36 of Hyde, who was the man removing his clothes inside the complex. He was determined to be under the influence of several controlled substances. Feels like I'm wearing nothing at all. Next one's out of China. Hmm. Uh, Cops. Oh, hold on. I just closed it. Hold (laughs) on. Technical difficulties. Technical difficulties. I got it. Woman rescued from grave. Oh my gosh, this is my nightmare. Woman rescued from grave after three days. Nope, nope. I don't. Not sure. I want to read this, but I'm going to. Police in northern China. This is literally like my like. This is the worst. Police in northern China charged a man with attempted murder after he allegedly buried his mother in an abandoned grave where she was found traumatized. Do you think? But alive after three days covered by loose dirt. Oh, my God. The man's wife told police her husband carried his mother away in a wheelbarrow when she failed to return three days later. Police were informed and the man was placed in detention. Rescuers said that despite the woman's ordeal, she was faintly calling for help. Oh, my gosh. As she was freed, the man was identified as 58-year-old with a surname of Ma. Ironically, his (laughs) his 79-year-old mother is surnamed Wang. 
I, I can't read this anymore about the, the size of the grave and the mom. Nope, nope. This is a sad story. Do you go out with friends? Well, a, a boy's best friend is his mother. Well, that's one we're going to remember for a while. Uh, yeah, you asked me which one we're going to remember. That's the one? That was, oh, my gosh. That is that is nightmare right there. All right. Well, here's Florida to save the day. Woman loses towel, gets mad, sets fire to shed. <laughs> 57-year-old Robin Hamilton was arrested this week after she set fire to a shed that a woman was living in. Oh, gosh. Following an argument with the shed's resident over a missing towel, Robin was arrested by the Alachua Alukua County Sheriff's Office on Saturday, charged with attempted murder, arson, and animal cruelty. Where does the animal come in? <laughs> There's going to be an animal later. According to Click Orlando, to which I would add, no thank you, uh, a woman <laughs> told the county deputies that she was renting the shed from Hamilton and living there with her two dogs. Oh, there you go. The woman said Hamilton had been drunk. There it is. And threatened is. to burn her out because of a missing towel that had sentimental value to Hamilton. Well, it finally happened, Zachary. Somebody burned down my she shed. Nobody burned down your she shed, Cheryl. Well, my she shed's on fire. Your she shed was struck by lightning. Florida never disappoints. Wow. Uh, England. Last one. Armed police called to night with sword. Okay. Armed police were called after a man dressed as a medieval knight with a three-foot sword was spotted out for his daily exercise. Three members of the firearms unit were sent after a family saw Lennon Thomas walking at Hendry Lake in St. Melon's Cardiff. Onlooker said he was confronted at gunpoint and looked shocked when told to put down the blade. Uh, Mr. Thomas apologized for a lapse in judgment. Perhaps... It was a little stupid of me to bring a sword, as from a distance, it does look realistic, said the 20-year-old Dungeons & Dragons fan. However, the rest of my outfit was simply me practicing for a hobby of mine. Life is a lot more fun when you don't care how weird you are. I even joked to some passers-by who saw the incident that if I were in America, I would have been shot on sight. You are indeed brave tonight, but the fight is mine. Oh, and enough, eh? You've got no arms left. Yes, I have. Look! Just a flesh wound. Man, these were dark today. <laughs> yeah, this, I feel like the whole theme was just, in general, d- darker than usual. If this is your first interweb in Sandy with us, by the way, I promise it gets better. So stick around hey, you know or just turn it off sooner, maybe. <laughs> you, you know what's funny? How about a guy trying to bury his mom in China, huh? <laughs> Jeez, Louise. That is a weird time to turn on the radio if you're just joining us. Either way, go back and listen to the podcast. And we'll hope you'll join us again tomorrow from 4 to 6 p.m. For Brian Frum, I'm Ian Simpkins, and this has been The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life.